episode lucky 13 of Don't Mess With the Metro, joined by the usual trio today. So, uh, gentlemen, I would like to ask you, how has this week been treating y'all? It's been a week. Um, definitely, definitely enjoy the fact that the days that it's nice, I'm able to go outside and take in the nice weather. When it's raining, pouring, miserable, I'm just like, well, there goes that day. But otherwise, yeah, so far it's... It's been all right on my end. Yeah, speak for yourself. You had to lose power today, and the one day that you had to freaking record, just sitting here like a, I guess like a pigeon, uh, <laughs> doing this on a phone, uh, <laughs> when I should be doing it on a laptop. But you okay. know, maybe maybe the phone can give me a little bit more better takes. Who knows? He says, and like, I'm also I still been doing this like, on a phone all the time. True. I mean, at least you're also not hungover as shit from the night before, so. I mean, mm. it's been about 24 hours since my first drink, and my stomach is still turned upside down. I, I don't know what the hell happened. I'm just getting old. I hate this. June's been, uh, June seems to have uh, really taken its uh, toll on you, hasn't it? Those 60 days must have been a lot. Yeah, I mean, it turns out like I have one drink, and all of a sudden I'm like blacked out on the floor, turning into like the, the, the one Rona Trump. Truly the lightweight. I, I mean, see what you did there. Imagine. Clever one. <laughs> Clever one. Very, that's very nice of you, Andrew. Very nice, very nice. I mean, it looked like you were doing so well for the first few weeks, but... Mm-hmm. Yep, my past week has been a lot of the uh, same old, same old. Uh, actually, recently, just uh, started playing uh, Kingdom Hearts Dark Road, which released on Monday, so it's been uh, pretty interesting to follow. Uh, you know, spend so much time, spent so much time following the of the light instead this time we actually get to follow some of the young days of xehanort what a fast what a fascinating concept that man has so well we'll start well to begin things today we will uh make note of as you might imagine the hockey hall of fame inductees were announced over over this past week including some notable faces uh jerome including some sorry including notable faces jerome and ginla and arian Hosa. Class also included Kevin Lowe and Doug Wilson, and also uh, Canadian women's goalie Kim St. Pierre and uh, Ken Holland as the uh, as a part of the builder category. And of course, like many other inductees, there not everybody can co- come to an agreement on who should have been in, who shouldn't have been out. But that's uh, that's all, and that all causes for a very good open discussion. Yeah, most definitely. Here's the thing. I don't understand if you're a Hall of Famer, you're a Hall of Famer, regardless of, like, first ballot, second ballot. And I know, like, it's it shouldn't be that way, and that's just the way it is. But some of the names that are left out, it's I understand because of the way that the voting goes and how many people are allowed to be in. But the fact that you have some other names still out there that haven't gotten in, it's... Um, it's you you wonder if things are a little bit too political at times and i don't know how to fix that i don't know if that's something that like i'm not trying to diminish anything right now or diminish anybody's accomplishments because it's clear that if they're getting in they clearly were top of the like cream of the crop but having people jump over others it's not like it's baseball where you're on the ballot for 10 years and then that's it you know i've never understood that (laughs) like why like, why would there be such a big limit? Why would there be a limit to when you can get in? Is it just because it eventually dies out? I mean, like, from baseball's perspective, I know that they usually do um, the fact that after, like, 10 years, then you fall to ballot. And even if you, like, if you don't get enough votes after, like, the next year, if you only, I think, uh, if you don't get 1% of the vote or um, 2% of the vote, then you drop like from that ballot, uh, from the next year's ballot, even if it's only like your first or second year eligibility. So, yeah, I can, I, I mean, that's like how baseball does. No, hockey obviously does it differently. But um, in this aspect, there are certainly uh, a couple of players I feel like got snubbed. I mean, I know that obviously the big names of Iginla, Hosa, they made it in. But I was surprised, like, honestly, that we didn't see Alfie as uh, a first ballot. Um, Rod Brindamore, I'm pretty surprised by him not making it. Eliash, 
and uh, even Shane Doan, I thought he would be able to like sneak in. And yeah, it's definitely gonna be something uh, in a couple of um, the next few years, like see who all how it all shakes out because they may not, have, I guess, garnered their weight as like first ballot, so to speak. But I definitely thought that they would be. I mean, that at some point they're going to be in because, yeah, it's. I mean, looking at like some of the players that have made the um, Hockey Hall of Fame, I thought that these guys would be ranking up there with them, at least like statistically or just skill wise. I agree. And I think there's some sort of recency bias there, though, that's going to cause it to, you know, I guess not really. How, how do I describe it? Because diminish the older yeah. players per se it's, it's not really diminishing the older players or like diminishing their accomplishments but th- the more recent the player played in especially in the social media era you're going to be getting a lot more quote-unquote backlash for not having players in and there's like you, you guys even started off with nobody's ever going to be 100 percent happy i mean of anybody who's a unanimous first ballot or if you're not like a clear-cut unanimous guy there's always going to be debate. There's always going to be people saying that they are, that they aren't. Like that one guy who tried to say Mark Messier wasn't even a top 50 player on the NHL. That's for another story later. Um, Andy, you know what I'm talking about there, right? Oh, yeah. I was the one that quoted that. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Then again, it comes from the same, like, it, it's just, I mean, I don't know, it's one of those things that I've seen incredibly ridiculous takes of that magnitude, like, uh, Messi not being a top 50 player all time. Then another one I think a while back I saw was uh, one of my favorite like ridiculous takes I've seen um, having Patrick Kane not be a uh, like generational talent because he played or him and Ovechkin are generational talents because they say it play at the same time as Crosby. That's not going to stop. Okay, whatever. Like, <laughs> I hate it. Thanks. It, I hate it, guys. Yeah. Uh, regardless, Back to before we fell off the rails a little bit there um, to recency bias. It's mostly just I think that's what's going to cause some people to say that some of these guys should have been in and um, say that you have, for example, you have five guys that are all retiring at the exact same time that are clear cut Hall of Famers. You can't punish the guys that are retiring for retiring at the time that they did, you know? Yeah. And if you think about it, you're usually only going to have two out of the six that are going to be recent. So that means that if you have five guys who are clear-cut Hall of Famers, most likely it's going to take one of them two years to get in. Is that to any fault of their own? No. But if you end up putting all five of those guys in, that's more showing that recency. So it's, again, that's that's where it comes in, where my thoughts again are, is it political? Is it is it a recency bias thing? I don't know. I don't know how to answer that, but I think it's it's grounds for good discussion about how, what's the best way to really determine is somebody a hall of famer? Cause especially in the social media era, we have guys that are our age. We have people that are younger and definitely people that are older. What about those guys that were dominant back in like the now technically early nineties, how do we compare those guys and how do we have any input for people that may or may not have watched them? You know, I mean, era kind of rambling era, right now, but era, no, that's totally fine. I mean, era adjustments are it's basically an endless topic that you could go on forever and ever about. And there's always a, there's never a limit to the certain number of factors of which you can put in to such a such a circumstance. I mean, no, that's not something that didn't keep them from picking Kevin Lowe over Daniel Albertson, for example, but it's kind of a, it's not the easiest, it's not always the easiest thing to compare. Well, yeah, it's also like kind of weird to have compare different uh, players from that, like you guys said, not only play different areas, but also play different positions. Because, I mean, personally speaking, like, how, how do you really compare a defenseman from the 90s and 80s to a uh, forward from the 2000s, 2010s. It's just really hard to say, like, this player was insanely good, but or this player deserves to be enshrined, but this player doesn't. And it's kind of just, it's a difficult task to have to, like, compare those two and 
that's why I would just like um, I would always say like well they're both very much worthy so both should be enshrined but at the same time I don't know it's 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 just ridiculous to have to like try and compare different players from different positions from different times there's so many different intangibles the key mm-hmm. and I think we kind of just touched on that too yeah, we yeah, touched exactly. on it earlier when we talked about um, generational talents. I, I forgot what episode it was. It was definitely early on, maybe episode six, episode seven, something along those lines. But to say that somebody you can only have one generational talent per generation in general is just asinine because you have so many different positions. Like, exactly. who, how can you in a generation? What defines a generation too? Because you could have guys that are superstars and elite. But it, does it have to be one generational talent? What happens if two guys just happen to be so dominant that, like, you can't... I, I don't know how else to describe it other than having, like, Lemieux and Gretzky. Just because they played at the same time, do you have to discredit one because you can only have one per generation? Like, you know? Yeah, plus think of also the overlap, like other players, because... Uh... Look at how long Yager played and how many players he's overlapped with. Obviously, Gordie Howe, definitely generational talent, but how long he's played, it's an insane overlap there. It's exactly. Just, it's hard to like differentiate, oh, but they were a generational talent only in these times, but then they stopped being a generation. Like, they did, did they stop just being talented at like that certain year? It's like, zoink, the power just came out of them. Yeah, it was like Gordie Howe started... Uh, well, so when Maurice Richard was six to seven seasons into his career, and then he wound up, fin- and then he wound up technically finishing his career for good when what two just two years before no three years before Steve Eiserman was drafted. That's spans spans a long way. Now I think most people might refer to a generation as sort of whatever the span of the average length of an NHL careers around 15 to 20 years because for example you've got you've got Ovi and Crosby who Ovechkin and Crosby who started when around the point when Mario Lemieux retired and now halfway through halfway through their careers Connor mm-hmm. McDavid and Jack Eichel have come along to see and Austin Matthews like that's prime over it's prime overlapping right there and it's just for their they're the one they're the generational talents for their certain time span and then Matthews, McDavid, and Eichel are the generational talents for their time span as well. And not to mention different player roles. Ovechkin's a goal scorer. Ding. You know? Like, how can you say that you can't... Like, how can you say that Crosby and Ovi couldn't be generational talents because they both played at the same time were drafted in essentially back-to-back years? One is an elite goal scorer, probably the best goal scorer since, what, Gretzky? Yeah. And then yeah. you might be able to say that Line A has the potential to be the next best goal scorer if he lives up to that hype. Correct. So you're going from Gretzky to Ovi to Line A as generational talent goal scorers. Goal scorers, yeah. Right? But Correct. then you have your playmakers. Like, <laughs> you can't discredit based on somebody's, I guess... Ability I, I guess, or style yeah, of play. I, I don't know how else to describe it. It's not even like a style. I don't even know if it's a style of play because it's just their gift. It's what they bring to the table. It's not just a style of play, but it's not also a characteristic. It's more. It's, but I also don't want to just say like it's their role either. You, you know what I mean? It's a combination of both. I don't know how to really describe it. But sure what their playmaking ability is. Well, not just limited to that, but basically what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are. You mentioned in previous episodes how. There are different generational talents for the quarterback, the running back, and other all sorts of positions in football. And heck, base applies applies same to baseball too. Yeah, it's definitely like I mean, especially as you guys were saying, um, the idea that especially like goal scorers versus playmakers versus like defensive forward um, to, or two way forwards, and then also like look at uh, your um, defensemen. Look at how like there are offensively gifted defensemen, how they're obviously defensively gifted defensemen, two-way defensemen, and then, like, goaltending. I mean, goaltending is really where you see a huge overlap because think of, like, generations, the past couple of cyclical uh, generations of goalies. Obviously, you have the ones from uh, 
the Patrick Waugh and um, Dominique Hasek uh, days. Then you have the uh, Brodeur and uh, era, then Luongo and uh, Lundqvist. And then um, the next group after that is basically Carrie Price and and Larry. Right. And then uh, like it just keeps going that I mean, obviously, there it's it comes in uh, cycles. Like, it's I can't really think of like the idea of a generation just stopping after. I mean, like Deal will say, like fifteen, twenty years. But there's definitely some intermittent players that may have been drafted in those twenty years and like had their primes in those twenty years. They still had insane numbers and put up great numbers and put up great like careers. They just happened to overlap, like so-called generational talents they too deserve the respect of possibly being generational talent just it shouldn't be at their the expense at their expense because they happen to be in the middle of it and another thing about different like positions or certain exactly. strengths or weak or certain strengths or weaknesses this is uh, an ideal like this is also very evident when it comes to running you have you have you have people who are salt pure distance runners runners who are somewhat good at distance, but are strong in the middle distance. And then others who are very strong on sprints and hurdles, some are jumps or pole vault, all sorts of different positions. There's there's a wide load, there's a wide load of different types of talent when it comes to, like I said, track and field. And the same thing applies to any of the very commonly followed sports. It's also not fair to say just because a guy was born one year later that they couldn't be a generational talent because if i'm not mistaken matthews was getting 50 this year right yeah yeah he he finished with 48 so yeah unless he went on a super cold streak where he couldn't buy two goals in how many games 12 10 yeah so at at worst you had to get two goals in eight games right if he's getting like if you have a perennial 50 goal score you have somebody like oh and to say that matthews can't be a generational talent because another center exists in crosby and mcdavid and because mcdavid was drafted a year before him that you can't like you have to throw matthews out of the equation that's that's just not <laughs> that, that's asinine <laughs> i don't know how yeah. else to describe that we'll look at the fact that like if Matthews was a couple of days born, like a couple of days earlier, he would have been in the McDavid Eichel draft class. It would you would have had like the top three players from that draft be um, all like really insanely talented players that in any other draft year would go first overall. Because Eichel in any other draft year in the past, like from really the last decade, he could have made an argument for number one overall. The only ones I can like think that he wouldn't go first overall were maybe like 2013 with uh, McKinnon. And even then, it's still like McKinnon and Eichel are not that far apart as players. And then uh, maybe 2016, it would have been him and Matthews would have been like a really good like neck-and-neck comparison there of who would have really gone first overall. Or in really 2018, if uh, Buffalo had a choice between Darlene or Eichel, which I'm sure Buffalo fans would freak out about the thought of having to choose between one of those two but given their cap situation you never know they might have to in a couple of years but um yeah they really have to like it's something that eichel could have been first overall so many other years and matthews could have not been first overall in 2015 if he was born a little bit earlier just who's to say that like neither one of those if they wind up going to the right team or find a way to like because they're only 23 years old now they could easily perform in or 24 years old they could easily become like generational talents moving forward like they have the potential really Mm -hmm. Uh, no yeah you totally nail can't really be overstated enough so in other so in other current news uh well before our last episode uh tampa bay lightning had reopened their training facility five days after their uh 11 of their i think it was 11 of their players had tested positive for covid showing and given uh how much uh florida has gotten hit pretty hard by coronavirus they uh goes to show them that some some teams if they're if the players are totally okay with continuing to go on then 
by all means, they can keep their training facilities open. And as I know that there are a lot of different varying opinions on how to approach this, but it's, it's uh, doesn't exactly uh, look good for the NHL when that uh, sort of first outbreak had happened. What a dump Tampa is. We've all known this from the start. Get every single player out of Sunrise. Get every single player out of Tampa. Get them out of the shit store. There's a reason why Florida Man exists. All right? Florida is an absolute shithole as of right now. It is a cesspool for coronavirus. It's a cesspool for COVID, whatever you want to call it. Get every single one of them out of there before we let that shit storm of a franchise ruin the season when you have a plan in place where you're going to have comprehensive testing and people aren't bitching like the NBA. <laughs> that's all I got to say about it. It's to me, it's kind of pathetic. You have other people testing positive. Yes, that's true. But even if you have one guy from each team and he's practicing with what, maybe two, three other guys and they all tested negative because, you know, everybody's not going out being friggin' idiots. Like, yeah, if a guy lives in Tampa, like I understand that you're going to be down there. But if you know that it's a cesspool in there and just a breeding ground for having to be hospitalized for two weeks, why the hell, if you are a professional player and you have the money to, why are you not going to get out of there? Most of those guys don't live, like, aren't from Tampa. How many guys are from overseas or elsewhere where, you know, COVID probably doesn't exist as much? Just throwing it out there. Like, stop being fucking idiots. Like, give your balls a tug and go up north. That, that, that's really it. And, uh, Andy, take, just take it. Honestly, at this point, like they've been talking about it for the past month, um, about what hub city, like yeah, what hub city they're gonna use, and I'm surprised that the people haven't just decided to go right, or like the players haven't decided to just head to one of those hub cities and like station themselves there, quarantine themselves there if it's supposed to be a safer area until this whole thing comes about. Because if they know that they're in a not safe area, like I mean, I would say especially like New York City, Philly, I mean, Detroit, the ones that were like the more dangerous areas leading into this whole thing. Why would you put yourself in that position? If you have so much money, you can go basically wherever you want during this whole ordeal. Either go home or go to one of those cities that, or go somewhere that isn't like the uh, epicenter for this sort of stuff. And if Florida's becoming the epicenter, just don't go there. If you don't want to be in Texas, don't go there. Like, just get out of those areas. And then this, the teams, like, they're not having everyone report to the facility. Don't, then, yeah, just don't have, especially if it's in a bad, like, um, a bad epicenter area. Don't have your, don't put your employees at risk and everything for this. It's just, I can is... guarantee you, I can guarantee you that if any of these players told them, hey, or told their team, like, Andy, say you're my GM. Or Ian, you're my head coach, and I'm a player, and I come up to you and say, hey, listen, COVID's starting to spike around here. I want to get some work in. I'm going to head up north to Toronto to go get some work in. I want to make sure that I'm ready. I want my legs under me by the time we have that first practice for training camp. Are you going to say no to me? Why would I? <laughs> the, 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 why aren't these players realizing it? They probably, my guess is that they want to get Tampa's more adapted to like their own facilities. It's sort of where all their stuff is. And it's sort of, it's one of those things where they might, if an outbreak happened, they would rather do it within team than with uh, like opponents per se. That's just my two cents though. Well, it clearly ain't working. Well, Tampa <laughs> also has to like, they have a lot of work to do considering that they have to keep up what they did last year of being an incredibly high poised team going into the playoffs and then just shitting the bed. They got to be able to do the same thing this year. They have high expectations. And if they just win a couple of games, we're all going to be disappointed. Like, how they didn't they? they also vote against the playoff proposal? Yeah, Them and Carolina they were, were the two teams. Oh, right. right. No, no, actually, yeah, it was Carolina yeah, and, Carolina. Oh, and okay. Tampa. Correct. Are we color me shocked? I, <laughs> yeah. I got nothing. I mean, I mean is like, uh, I time a flat circle or is that just a coincidence? Well, I figured that they would be one of the ones to like vote against it just off the fact that they didn't want to get embarrassed again, and <laughs> the other one being Carolina because you know Carolina. But yeah, I just figured. I mean, that's why they have to like get everything right. They're probably 
working together to especially down there and if they go ahead and cancel a season and there if yeah especially if there's like a canceled season because they keep getting players uh sick i'm gonna tell you this much they somehow surpassed what they did last year because not only did they get swept out of the playoffs they swept the nhl like every nhl team out of the playoffs <laughs> i can guarantee you that tampa's not going to this right now was well, I guess when they were voting, is you know what we got swept last year. If we're playing a seven-game series, we're near the top of the standings. We only need to win one game. You know, let's just make it so that way another team has to win six. We got to win one because if it's got to go seven, it's got to go seven. We win our one, we move on. Trying to make it easy <laughs> for us because you know Tampa has to be handed everything. And as I mentioned earlier, I know there are a lot of varying opinion. Obviously, there are a lot of varying opinions. I totally respect that. Safety should be the first and main concern, but you also can't assume that when players are resumed skating that they're somehow doing this against their own will and that the owners don't care if they die or whatnot uh i sincerely doubt that i think a lot i think the fair a lot of these players kind of like the idea of getting back on the ice and playing finishing a season and having a playoffs and for and for those who might be at higher risk or are not so sure that is Totally fine. I completely understand that. They don't they don't want to play. They should not be required to. But sometimes it's easy sometimes it's easy for a lot of us to forget that we don't always know the players' intentions and behind behind a lot of these. Nobody will be ostracized, in my opinion, if they say that they don't want to play. But every player should have to go out there, sign a waiver saying, you know what? I am willing to play. I want to play. This is me stating like on my own free will that I want to do this. So that way everybody else can shut up and not say that there's peer pressure. That's just my opinion though. I totally feel you. Yeah, I definitely understand like that themselves are high risk and they want to opt out that no one should, I mean, obviously no one's going to judge them for that. There are going to be a couple people who are like uh, play through the pain or whatever, like shut up. But the ones that uh, are going to play and then if they subject themselves to getting sick and later say like, well, I shouldn't have played Okay, but you do understand that even if you didn't play and there's no, like, 100% way that you weren't going to get sick, like, there's still a possibility of you getting sick anywhere. So, mm. yeah, you get, you run a high risk of getting sick if you play, but at the same time, you could have also gotten injured if you were going to play. You could have, like, got had something else happen to you if you're going to play. So you might as well, like, if you do decide to play, then just run with it. If you don't decide to play, understood. Just whatever you decide, commit to it. Don't like back mm-hmm. out on it or half-ass it. Like, just commit. Exactly. Like a guy like Oscar Limbaugh, like he, if he says he doesn't want to play because he was undergoing chemo and his immune system is down, that that's a perfect example of somebody who's looking out for themselves. And I'm yeah. just using him as an example because that's the most glaring, clear-cut one that I can come up with right now. But say that there's another guy who has underlying health concerns that you know isn't public knowledge. The fact that people might ostracize them because, you know, they're the type of guys who are like, yeah, water makes you weak. Like, mm-hmm. let the players make their own decision. If they want to play, they play. If they don't want to play, don't ostracize them. They're doing the right thing for themselves, and they're going to support their team regardless. They're not quitting on their team at that point. They're actually protecting themselves so that way they can be ready for when the next season starts up. Right. Some of these guys are willing to forfeit those game checks because they want to make sure that they're healthy and still able to play. And who's and to you know also, that somebody... Oh, so, yeah, you sorry. also might imagine. It's it's like if you don't... Maybe it's like if you don't have the greatest chance at a ring this year. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to feel motivated to get up in the middle of the summer and then, like, fit, and then like play in any qualifying ground. And, I mean, yeah, that might not be the greatest mindset ever, but I could totally understand why there could be a lack of motivation, per se, there. Exactly. And who's also know, like say that some of these guys don't want to use this as just keeping their legs under them, you know, like just some of these guys are just going to use this as a summer skate. What's the difference between them skating in July up in Minnesota in the beauty league versus skating now against other NHL players in a series that they know they're probably not going to win, but it gets some games under, under their belt and keeps their legs fresh. You know, it's me. Beats me. And one thing that I did want to bring up to kind of retro, like kind of go back on a little bit. Uh, one thing we also ignore are players' families. 
because we're just talking about the players themselves choosing not to play for their own safety. What if you have a guy like Craig Anderson, who's, you know, whose wife was dealing with a lot of shit, you know, if he sits out, he's doing it for his family because he knows that there are other things that are going on. If other players have their kids that are at risk or they have say that their parents are living with them because of other circumstances, if they choose not to play, they're doing it for a bigger reason. So people need to take that into account too. That's all I wanted to say. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's very easy to forget that. Yeah. Cause they're going to be in this bubble now for the next couple of uh, months if they go all the way. So they're going to be away from their families. We have to like take into effect the idea that when they do come out of the quarantine, are they going to be fully cleared to go back to visit their families or are they going to have to be quarantined further so on and so forth like it's it's gonna be tough to see well dan you uh took the words right out of my mouth for the uh next segment i was gonna mention uh as you might imagine oscar limbaugh had skated with the uh fires a couple days ago for the uh first time since he was uh, diagnosed with ewing scarma a uh, red blood cancer so it's a great time for some uh, positive news across the league which we haven't really seen much in this uh past several months so very great to see. Now uh, we decided to uh, bring up a topic which I've sort of had in the back of my mind for the past several weeks, but we elected to defer until later. Who would you guys say is the uh, best NHL team ever assembled in history? I've already got mine uh, in the back of my head, but I'll let you guys start. Um, personally, I got to go with a really old throwback to the 1976-77 Montreal Canadiens. This team... In 80 uh, regular season games, only lost eight of them. They won 60 of them and tied on 12 of them. Then they rolled into the playoffs and just completely dominated there. So, I mean, it was a team that was stacked with um, Jacques Lemaire. It had uh, Ken Dryden in net, Guy Lafleur. Like, this is an absolutely roided team that... They just mopped the floor with them. It was in the midst of, obviously, the Montreal Canadiens just di- absolute dynasty from uh, 1976 to um, 1979 when they won four straight cups. Like th- it was just an incredible, absolutely phenomenally put together team that I thought, you know, top to bottom, they had everything that it takes to be like the great team of all time. For me, um, I think you. I don't think that there's any way that you can argue against. I, I can't really pick out one team, but the late '90s Wings. When you have nine Hall of Famers on one team, how, how could you go against that? You know, I mean, you have what? You had Chelios playing there. You had Iserman. Uh, Fedorov was on that team. Wasn't um. Russian five. Mm-hmm. Wait, uh, Igor Larion. You have way too much talent that the fact that all those guys were able to play for that one team and they were all willing to kind of, if you think about it, take pay cuts to be able to keep those teams together, even though there wasn't really a salary cap. It's something, something you got to really take a look at. Well, I might be, I would ride high on your horse for uh, picking Detroit as I would not oppose to that at all. But Andy took the words right out of my mouth. And I think there's, not much of a uh, more dominant team that we saw in NHL history than the uh, 1977 Habs. I mean, let's not let's not forget they're also coached by uh, Scotty Bowman too, as well as well as some of those uh, later uh, Detroit teams. And another thing to consider is, I think a lot of people like to compare the 77 Canadians and the 85 Oilers a lot to each other, but think if I'm not mistaken, the 85 Oilers they won 50 games. Or they sort of lost several more at home, but the semi and that's of no disrespect to them whatsoever. But the seventy-seven Canadians just like toppled point totals, win totals, and here's another mind blowing. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, seventy-seven Canadians had a goal differential of two plus two hundred and sixteen. The eighty-five Warriors didn't even have. They were, I think, they were just short of half that much and you can now a lot of people will come in here 
arguing saying that ma that's the 70s you got just area just eras those are a bunch of plumbers well at that point in time what's the difference of eight years between 77 and 1985 um, also considering a lot of the oilers uh heavyweight scoring was done by Yari Curry, Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier. Um, 77 Canadians had Cornoyer. Uh, um, I think pretty sure Bob Gainey was on that roster too. Then Keela Fleur, can't go wrong with that. And then actually an interesting comparison to make would be uh, Ken Dryden versus Grant Fuhr. I don't really have the advanced stats on those guys once they're not, but really just on win totals, points, point percentage, and particularly goal differential, I'm, I'd really have to go with 77 Canadians all, like all day, any day. And another thing to consider, what's really impressive about their 70s run is, you know, they had they had many of their titles during the original six. Let's see, they won't, yeah. By 19, yeah, by 1967, they had 14 cups. Toronto had 13. Uh, let's see, Detroit had, yeah, Detroit had seven. And then, you know, the expansion six happens. It basically changes the landscape of these original six teams for a long time because there's loads of players out the door going through back and forth with into the expansion draft. And starting in 1963, the entry draft got put into place. So Montreal was no longer snagging only Quebec players. Toronto was no longer snagging only Ontario players, you know, like these teams were challenged to upkeep their tradition of winning quite a bit. What did the Montreal Canadiens do? Oh, first year out of the gate, let's see. Win the Stanley Cup, 1968. Win the Stanley Cup in 1969. Uh, Okay, they missed the playoffs for the first time in 25 years in 1970, but that's just fine. They convinced John Beliveau to come back for one more year in 1971. Dryden pops onto the scene, takes out one of the most powerful Bruins teams in history who had just won the Stanley Cup the year prior, then go on an improbable run, win the Stanley Cup that year. Let's see, they won another Stanley Cup in 1973, which, if I'm not mistaken, was Henri Richard's um, last season, which he won his 11th, 11th Stanley Cup, the most ever won by a player. Now, is it easy to do that when there are six teams in the league? Of course. Either way, that's that's stupid. That's stupid. (laughs) Just like still relatively impressive, nevertheless. And several years down the road, they go on their spree of four straight, including arguably the best team ever assembled in 1977, and uh, having the fortunes of Don Cherry uh, getting called for too many men on the ice in 1979, uh, in what ended up being Ken Dryan's last year. So, following the implementation of the NHL entry draft. And the way the expansion draft went, this team went out and won eight Stanley Cups over the course of the next 12 seasons. That is, and what did Toronto do? Mm, Not even make it to the Stanley Cup final and still hasn't been the case since then. The stretch like that is what separated them from any of the other original six teams. They were pretty good in the original six days itself, but that stretch in the 70s is what separates their history from other teams. Now you can make. Now I'm going to be biased and make the argument that <clears throat> Detroit sort of has a word with that, winning four cups in 11 years with more teams in the league, and more recently speaking. But when you're talking from a hockey historian perspective, one of the reasons why they tend to be the most respected franchise of all time is because of that stretch and because of the teams they filled in the 70s, particularly that 77 team. Quite incredible. Oh yeah, and it's ironic that like it's the discussion is between the um, the Oilers of the '80s and the Canadians of the '70s because not only did in the '80s the Oilers have their uh, stretch where they were almost like basically their dynasty years of 1984, 85, 87, 88, and nine and uh, 90, but of those years, like right in the middle of when the five years that they had. Um, Gretzky and from A4 to 88, they had the right in the middle of it. Patrick Waugh led the uh, Canadians to the cup. Then in uh, after uh, Gretzky gets traded, the Oilers win it all. 
and then he gets traded to the Kings. Ninety three, it's Patrick Waugh and the Canadians versus Gretzky and the and the uh, Oil and um, the Kings, and Patrick Waugh and the Canadians win it there. Like it, it really is kind of funny how it all shakes out because yeah. then later on the rest of the Oilers dynasty, like uh, under the guidance of Messier, they win it all in uh, um, 1990. And then a good chunk of their players wind up getting traded to the Rangers in 94 or before 94 cup run and went all there. But it's just like to think, to just think of like the seventies uh, Canadians, how they were able to all stay together for four straight years and went all. It's just absolutely bonkers. And just also the players, which they totally like recycled through. All this, oh like, yeah. And even like, I think, I think, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, it's like they lost Dark Harvey to the expansion draft. But you know, it was like it was, it's like a next man up thing. And another thing to point out with uh, Henri Richard, <laughs> it kind of helped to his cup totals that his first five seasons in the NHL was on the Habs' uh, five straight dynasty cups from '56 to 1960, and then ending in 19, and then ending with one last ring in 1973. And Dan, you were t- you just seemed pretty appalled of just how stupid that was regardless of how many teams were in the league well really also one of the other things like with that um in not only just being one of the most story franchises in hockey really in all sports because i remember um my dad always says like when he was in the uh um when he was in like the 70s uh at one of the bars him and like his friends were watching the uh canadians um win the cup one of the years and I think at that point they had passed the uh, New York Yankees for most championships in really all of like North America um, sports, yep. like major four sports. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously like later on the Yankees would pass them, I think in 98, they wound up by the 98 or 99, they passed them. And then now that's uh, 27 for the uh, Yankees and 23 cups for the uh, Canadians or 24 cups. So it basically like it's kind of wild how they still were able to stay toe to toe and be one of, if not the one, yeah, basically the most memorable non-U.S. major sports team. Really, I was gonna say yeah, that's correct. When you kind of take out U.S. out of the perspective, it really limits just the uh, Canadian teams <laughs> or set insert set Toronto team here. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I really don't have anything else to add besides what you guys pretty much have just brought up. So I will we'll definitely agree to disagree, I guess, on those. <laughs> I'm, I'm more using my criteria of Hall of Famers on the team and as well as the success, being that one of the best teams... Uh, clearly, these are two of the best teams that were ever assembled. Definitely top five. So, I mean, is it up for debate? Yes. Is it always going to be up for debate? Absolutely. We're comparing yeah. teams and players from different eras again, which is very, very right. tough to do and sometimes shouldn't even happen. So like just shut up and enjoy greatness pretty much. But yeah, that's, that's pretty much all I got. No, yeah, and I, uh, and there are definitely cases can be made for like really in, I mean, that's one of the things like whenever I read these like best teams of all time, cases can be made for certain teams in um, especially in like certain eras. Um, look at the, uh, obviously the Red Wings of like the nineties and two thousands, they were incredibly jacked and, they were like one of the last ones I remember being the dynasty. I think like the closest thing that we've gotten the past couple of years were the uh, Blackhawks. And even then, like to think that now, I mean, there's so much parody that winning a cup three times over the course of six years is considered a dynasty is, I don't know. It, it just feels weird to say that. Like we've grown up with um, so many different like back to back to back or like back to back years of cup winners and, so the fact that that counts as like a dynasty now is just wild, but it's, it's crazy to think that like over the course of the past uh, couple of decades, like we've had so many incredible teams. Obviously, the uh, Wings of the '90s have put up insane players. The Oilers in the '80s, the Canadians in the '70s, and then like back in like the '60s, '50s, and '40s were basically the Canadians, Leafs, Red Wings being some of the most talented teams back then. Uh, it's just, it's crazy to think like how many great teams have come and gone. And even not only just like dynasties, but individual teams have like been able to go on an incredible run 
um, teams that like win the President's Trophy and win the Cup. That's not that often, but at the same time, when they do that, you have to automatically consider, damn, are, is this one of the greatest teams of all time? Because as we've seen like the last couple of years, it's hard to be able to like win the regular season, basically best team in the regular season, and then go into the playoffs and win it all. And I mean, it's not like obviously we're going to make jokes about the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning last year, but at the same time, they just were like the complete polar end of basically every other team that's like gone a stretch because there are a good amount of teams that have the same result end of day as the Tampa Bay Lightning that were the present trophy winners in that they go into playoffs and then they just lose at some point. The Canucks did that for years. The uh, Bruins did that um, a couple times. The uh, uh, Capitals and really it, it just, yeah, sometimes you just run out of gas unfortunately at the wrong time. So it's hard to be able to keep the you know, the pal in the middle the entire way through. Especially considering how the length of how long a season is too. And that seems very, that seemed like a pretty big compliment of uh, you, Andy, after I am old enough to remember the times where he would uh, slaughter the league for only having was, what was, I guess, in by 2017, there were only four different cup winners over the course of 10 years. You seemed uh, <laughs> pretty uh, intrigued in a negative way by that. <laughs> well, I'm just comparing it to other Baseball. leagues where, well, yeah, <laughs> leagues where you don't have, uh, where you have a lot more parity, but at least the last couple of years, I mean, we've seen the, uh, I think only ever since 2014, only one team has won more than one cup. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's nice to see like more teams than that instead of just seeing the same rotation of. Penguins, Blackhawks, Kings, and then one time that the Bruins, the Bruins win it because the Sedins decided to just throw that series into the uh, into the uh, casino machine. Is that the case? Many are saying it, it, we have it well documented uh, that <laughs> that's the case. Here we go again. I'm just saying, you know, I, I just happen to Sorry, guys, we cannot, Canucks fans, don't attack us. We just can't hold ourselves back. It's it's a natural habit. Blame. Blame him. Not his fault. Blame Andy. Always. Yep. But one thing we can never blame him for is his uh, artsy ways of his life lesson of the week, which uh, we have uh, stumbled our way What upon. a segue. What a segue Ooh. right there. Man. I can yeah, actually I can actually. Somebody's speak. been working on his transitions. Wow. I can actually speak in transition well. Incredible. Man. Uh, hard to even, like, top that segue, though. But, uh, all right. Folks, if uh, I've taught you anything, it's this. Do not make garlic bread at 1.30 in the morning when you've already had a couple drinks. And you like after you make it and clean everything up, you just decide to pass out. Because the next day, you wake up in bed and you feel fat and you smell like garlic. And you're thinking, is this how Wario from New Super Mario Bros. feels like? <laughs> Not, you're not speaking from experience. You're just speaking from a friend's experience, correct? Yeah, totally. This wasn't me on Saturday at all. <laughs> so, yeah, just from someone that we may or may not know, um, let's just go ahead and say that they definitely recommend they do not do that. Nice look on your face. <laughs> Is this where we change your name? Is this where we start calling you Wandy now? or? Well, that's... According to uh, Twitter, where like they put W or L in front of every it's like part of, good take. Yeah, except this W is actually an insult. So. Well, yeah. You might as well. Uh, well I wouldn't say it's more of an insult. The only thing that would be really an insult is like taking a sip of whiskey from like a shot glass that should just be down. But then again, wow, I don't know wow, wow. out of line, out of line, Ooh. out of line. Now. You're calling it out of line. I just call here. that a nice segue and being the, telling the truth. I mean, it's sacrilege. <laughs> Man, a nice bridge to go into town, Outer, a nice bridge to go Outer right Outer out. <laughs> Next thing you know, he's going to order a really, quarter flight apple you, frantini or some you're shit really like that. Poke, you're really trying to poke the bear and set me off on a revenge tour. Is that the case? I want you to see. You know what? That's what best friends do. I can really respect that. I can really respect that. I don't know. If, uh, what is it? Revenge tour Ian versus a shot glass? Or? I mean, I mean, I don't know how many times you fail to properly upload a picture in a text message either, which seems to be a lot more simple than what you think it is. 
Uh, yes, the days of like creating new chats whenever you send a whenever you send a photo. <laughs> hey, oh listen, 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 listen. So zero bites, and you're now, just like, right? oh brother, this guy stinks. Ah uh, shit! Here we go again. <laughs> you know, some guys just have so many different talents. That's what makes humans incredible people. Just. Oh, we really went off the rails there for a second. Holy shit. Like, <laughs> just thinking about that. <laughs> no shame, yeah, the slightest. You gotta entertain you gotta entertain your fans from every now and then. I love how like the segue was perfectly coasting though. Like we didn't it didn't even feel like we got off the off ramp until like five minutes later. We're like, oh shoot, we're in a completely different state. <laughs> you were well, pretty we much were, like Andy well, on his, we on his we typical nights to- out. He's like He's ordering a shock top, and next thing you know, he's got, like, a glass of whiskey in his hand, and he, like, looks up at the clock. He's like, holy shit, it's 1 a.m. Last time I looked well, up me, here was 9.30. Well, yeah, that's whenever I send one of those, like, see a, chun- see a chug, send a chug uh, snaps to you guys, and then it goes from, like, all right, this is going to be a great day, and then, like, I blink, and I'm in the bathroom just trying to compose myself. What the hell just happened? <laughs> yeah, one tequila, two tequila, three tequila, floor. That's Andy right there. Yeah, a good Saturday night. Yeah, it's like you got to upload some uh, uh, photo stats to your and memes to your best buds, and then you wake up the next morning and realize it never even went through. It's yeah. very eerily similar in that regard. So, well, well, lads, this was a this is gonna wrap it up things for today, and uh, I guess another remi- another reminder for all of our any of our soccer fans who happen to watch this episode. Liverpool are your champions of England for 2020, so felt like that would just be a friendly reminder to cap things off on this day. So we hope you continue to stay safe uh, during these days, and uh, it's really all we can ask for right now. So and baseball's you're... back. Just pointing out, baseball yeah. is back. Oh yeah, simplistic LVC legend. And how much money am I going to lose on baseball? And who, and who did Christian Pulisic's uh, father coach, Andy? I believe the school, uh, Lebanon Valley College, the greatest school in the state of Pennsylvania. In both men's soccer and women's soccer? Damn right. Out with a bang on that note. So uh, we'll see the rest of you guys. Thanks for listening. Subscribe, unsubscribe, five star rating. Leave a good comment. If you're leaving a bad comment, we'll leave it on Andy. Oh, yeah. Understandable. Have a nice day. Of course, yeah. But for real, though. Have a nice day.